Welcome. This is our community forum on crime. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Bill Lee. I am the uh, uh, CEO for the Gallup McKinley County Chamber of Commerce. Um, our chamber has been actively involved in pursuing, ish, um, pursuing solutions um, to the crime that we are seeing in our community. And tonight, we're going to hopefully give you a big overview of what we've done and where we're headed, okay? Um, before we get started, I'd like to uh, introduce the president of our board, Marie Kyoto. Also present, our board members, uh, Donovan Ferrari and Gibby Ramirez. Thanks for being here. And also Angie Olive is here from our board. They have all been instrumental in this um, effort that is underway. And we hope that uh, you all will soon be joining us as we look for solutions to create a better community. So how we arrived here today is uh, a little bit of a story. Um, I know he's here, Kristen is here. Kristen from Dynamic Signs. I, <laughs> I was driving, yeah, give him a hand. Um, he and Rocky at Dynamic Signs um, have a banner out on their fence which says, we've been broken into five times in the last 30 days, what are we gonna do, Gallup? And as I was driving down 66 one day, Dynamic Signs, a strong chamber member, I saw that banner and I went, pump the brakes. Let's go in there and see what's going on. So I went in and I had a great conversation with Christian and Rocky about the, the problems that they've seen. And they have, they've been plagued by burglaries, people breaking in, throwing rocks through the windows. And so we began to have a conversation about what are we going to do? And um, I went back to my board. It just so happened we were having a board meeting just a couple of days later, and we talked about this issue. My board, comprised of business people, said he is not alone. We've been broken into. I've been broken into. And pretty soon it became very clear that this was something that was plaguing our business community, and I said, okay, as leaders in the business community, advocates for the business community, what is our Chamber of Commerce going to do about this? My board immediately said, let's do a community forum. And I said, that's a wonderful idea, except I think we need to put together some facts first before we go into a big public meeting and start to cast stones and point fingers and yell and scream at everybody. Sound like a good idea, right? So we did we began a series of meetings and fact-finding. So tonight I want you to know you will have an opportunity to ask questions and seek answers. We also want to hear your ideas and solutions. If you have an idea or a solution that you think would work, that's what we want to talk about because that's the important thing. Where we are is not nearly as important as where we might be headed. And we need to get our hands on all of this. So one of the first meetings I put together was with our city manager, city attorney, our chief of police, um, two of his captains, and um, um, under Sheriff Mariano. And we went and we talked at length 
uh, between city and county issues on the law enforcement side. Before we get much further into that meeting and what we discovered there, I would like Chief Boyd, if he can, to share with you something that he shared with me in a meeting called basically the broken windows policing theory. So Chief Boyd, if you don't mind, I'll let you uh, speak to that issue. Can everybody hear me okay? I'm gonna take my mask off really quick. It's, uh, I'm gonna take my mask off real quick, thank you. Um, it's fogging up my glasses and, and I'm, I want to be clear. So first of all, I want to thank Bill Lee for organizing this forum. Um, we had this type of uh, forum last year. It went only up to a certain extent before we had a new DA and before uh, COVID kind of slowed things down, slowed down the momentum. But uh, I'm glad, I'm very glad the Chamber's involved. I think the Chamber has a very loud voice in regard to what we're trying to accomplish here. Um, it's no secret that um, Gallup has a lot of issues. I mean, there's, there's no hiding the fact. I, I'm a, I pride myself on, a, on being a very transparent police chief, and if there's any issues that I can um, affirm with numbers, and if those numbers don't look good, then they don't look good. At least it's the truth. If we don't tell the truth, then how are we going to address these issues, right? So with that being said, uh, Bill and I had a very uh, personal meeting regarding all the issues, um, not just police issues, but issues with the business community, community and, um, and uh, issues in our hotspot areas within the city. Uh, we, we, we covered a lot of things. But I expressed to him one of the theories of uh, policing. Uh, one of those theories that we discussed most was a theory called the uh, broken windows theories of policing. This theory was initiated in, uh, by a police chief in New York City in the early 70s. Basically, the theory is that if you don't address crime on the ground level when it starts with broken windows, uh, street lights that are broken, homeless camps, vagrants, things on the lower level that we would consider misdemeanor low-level crimes or low-level priority crimes, if you don't address those things up front and immediately, um, graffiti included, that, included in that category, it's only going to grow from there. It's only going to fester. So the point of police, the, police uh, the broken window theories of policing is to continue to address those issues from the ground up. Otherwise, crime is going to grow like a weed, right? If you don't pull the weed early, it's just going to get bigger and it's going it's to fester. That's the theory. Of course, it's more complicated and complex than that. So that's just one theory of uh, policing. The other uh, two theories of policing are the community and constitutional, community involvement, community policing, and constitutional policing form of uh, policing. The community expects a lot from our police officers. When we arrive at a scene and we have parties that are very upset about being a victim, and sometimes the perpetrators on scene, right? What do, they, what, what do they want primarily? They want that person to go to jail, right? They're upset. They want justice, they want justice now. They want us to take out our handcuffs and take them and haul them off to jail. It's a very fine line in regard to what my officers by law are allowed to do and not do. Understand that when we take a person to jail, it's only to ensure that they appear before a judge to plead guilty or not guilty. That's not the end all be all of resolving the issue and holding them accountable. So I understand the frustration when officers show up and scene and tell you 
I can arrest this person or I'm going to have to file a criminal summons or I'm going to need more investigation to file a summons. Anyways, I'm getting off topic here. The other um, form of policing is hotspot policing. It's, uh, it's something we've been trying to implement into our department um, primarily because we don't have enough manpower to adequately staff our patrol detective and narcotics division to be in every district in our community. So what we've attempted to do was create a special enforcement unit whose sole purpose within our department is to be proactive. A very good majority of our police department, about 95 of our police officers are reactive and they're primarily uh, in the patrol division. As you can see, if I, I gave you guys a stat handout. If you look at the numbers regarding calls for service, the numbers of subpoenas served on our officers, it's astounding. It's absolutely astounding. But when someone calls 911 or calls the Metro Dispatch because there's an accident or they need to make a report, those officers need to be available to, to respond to those calls. Not just respond to those calls, but they need to be, sometimes they need to go in tandem. Sometimes these uh, calls are very dangerous. It's not appropriate to send one officer to a call. Domestic dispute with weapons, robberies in progress, things of that nature. So with this uh, special enforcement team, what we did back in, I believe it was in 2016, we attempted to create the only proactive, other than the narcotics division, the only proactive unit within our department to be completely proactive, deal with all these issues, deal with the panhandlers, deal with the homeless camps, um, deal with DWI, deal with speeders, deal with uh, uh, traffic enforcement at our school zones. So we tried, we, I believe we got to, to our manpower for a few months, and that's, that's as far as it went. We lost a lot of officers through attrition. Our patrol officers started uh, retiring and uh, going to other jobs. Uh, getting terminated, whatever the reason, our patrol officer, our patrol shift started getting too thin and I had no choice but to pull our officers from our proactive set team and put them on patrol. And now let me fast forward about four years and that's still the case today. I only have one officer on set. So I got one proactive officer within my uh, department and I got a very small contingent of uh, narcotics agents in our police department and they're understaffed, but they're not up to staff and neither are my detectives. So anyways, um, that's the topic that me and Bill talked about, the concept regarding the, the, the theory that I just spoke about. And, and that's still our theory. That's still our belief. But uh, we've got to change gears as, as, as the numbers and uh, crime, crime stats and crime, crime waves change. Thank you. Uh, and uh, Bill, I'll turn it back to you. Thank you, Chief. There is really good information in that handout, and I encourage you to, to read it thoroughly at some point this evening or throughout the course of the rest of the week. PJ, thanks for being here. PJ also, PJ Campos from Sacred Wind Communications, a member of our board as well. So, so thank you. <laughs> so we had this meeting with city and county law enforcement, um, and just to review what we talked about, and hopefully I'm gonna capture all the big points. Um, there was this trend that we were starting to see from Gallup Police Department that um, was if an officer responded, you'd been burglarized, the officer responded, he may have told you in your conversation, we have to catch them in the act in order to arrest them. That is not the case, right? Captain Padovich, Captain um, Toadalina Pablo are all dealing with that. 
at the force level, and I think we've already got that corrected, right? That is not the case. If you have them on camera, if you can see their face. Can I do this while I talk? Yeah. All right. So, if you have good camera systems, you don't need to catch them in the act in order to make an arrest, okay? We cleared that up right away. And I'd like to say thank you to the city and the police officers because they didn't, they didn't turn, turn away or deny, they just said, let's fix the problem. And they went right to work and have already fixed that. So give them a hand for that. Our police officers in this community receive on average about 150 calls a day. It's mind-blowing. Those stats are in that handout. Business owners, we also need to take some accountability. We need to do assessments around our property to see where weak spots are, that we can shore up, that we can make stronger, that we can protect ourselves. If you don't know what to look for, that's understandable. I've been told by both the Sheriff's Department as well as the Police Department they're willing, when they can, to come out and help you do that assessment. Correct, Chief Boyd? Yeah. So, under Sheriff? Yes. So, take a look around at your own surroundings. We know that this goes beyond the business community. At the Chamber of Commerce, we build our, our organization on three things. Commerce, collaboration, community. So this, when we talk about businesses, we also know that this is happening in our neighborhoods. And we, we can't have quality of place when crime's taking place in our neighborhoods and in our business community. So we're, we're, we're after all of it. I want you to know that. Um, sadly, people are getting so um, frustrated that in some instances, they have begun to take matters into their own hands. <laughs> Under Sheriff and I were talking just uh, yesterday, um, and he said um, he was excited to come to Bill's Vigilante Forum. <laughs> I don't know where that got started. First of all, this is not Bill Lee, this is the Chamber of Commerce, your Gallup McKinley County Chamber of Commerce. We in no way support being vigilantes. People get hurt, innocent people get hurt. We've heard about people wanting to do booby traps inside their business so that if somebody broke in, what if your business catches on fire and police or law enforcement need to get in to apprehend a suspect and you've set a booby trap and you get one of them instead? It doesn't make sense, do not take matters into your own hands, I guarantee you that only ends up bad for you in the end. There are laws on the books right now, city ordinances that can help. The trespassing forms, which you can get at City Hall, so if someone is at your place and they have committed a crime or, or vandalized something in some way, shape, or form, and you can catch them, or if they are just hanging around being a nuisance, you can fill out a trespass form. It gets turned into the police officer when they come. You file the trespassing report, and now they cannot trespass again. I realize that's a little bit of work, 
but it does work. I've, we've already used it a couple of times at the Chamber of Commerce, and it has discouraged those people from coming back. Because after they come back, they can be arrested for trespassing. Okay? The, the other thing we talked about is a warrant roundup. And I'm going to ask a couple of people to speak to this here this evening. We know we have a lot of people in our community who have failed to appear in court. And I want to thank our judges for being here tonight. Let's give them a round of applause. <laughs> Typically, our judges don't like to come out because they are not allowed to talk about cases and things that are happening in their court. I want you to realize that tonight. Okay? Don't ask them about a specific case here. Don't ask them those things. They cannot comment. They are not allowed to, for obvious reasons. All right? So, but they are here to clarify what the law allows them to do, and we're going to spend some time talking about that. But that being said, one of the things that came out of our meeting with the city and the county law enforcement and leadership was that these folks who are not appearing obviously have bench warrants issued for their arrest. Okay? So, under Sheriff Mariano, took it under his stead as the McKinley County Sheriff's Department to get this warrant round up in play and in process. Um, under Sheriff, would you like to give us an update on that? Thank you. Can everybody hear me? All right, so I can't take full credit for this because Judge Griego was the one that got involved in this. This packet includes 3,008 outstanding warrants for municipal court, which means what? People know or think they know that they don't have to show up to court. So Judge Griego and her staff put together this booklet. Our staff, along with the Gallup Police Department, is going to start working on rounding these folks up. Now, these are not, these are not traffic citations, okay? These are not people that ran a red light. This is all DWIs and misdemeanor criminal offenses outstanding in municipal court, okay? So the plan is in the very near future to work with municipal court, to work with the Gallup Police Department and possibly even state police to start picking these folks up. And I know there was some, we'll call it a miscommunication or maybe a misunderstanding of the way it got posted. So when Judge Griego posted uh, that this was going to go out and there was going to be a week of forgiveness. It's not forgiveness. They're not, it's not dismissals. She's not dismissing anything. She's not taking anybody's cases off the books. We're just saying if you turn yourself in now, I won't go to your house and drag you out and take you to jail so you can stand before her and answer for what you did. Okay, so all we're doing is we're giving them a week to do it on their own. They don't want to do that, then Judge Griego is going to take over and start fixing that. Once we get them in front of her, she can adjudicate it. Thank you. Judge, Judge Griego, would you like to say? Yeah, yeah, give him a hand. Let me add a dollar amount to that, 3,007. $759,000 of uncollected fines and fees. $759,000. That is the city court alone. That is the municipal court who's dealing with first DWIs and the smaller crimes, shopliftings, trespassings. So people get arrested and they don't come back because they've never been punished. They've never come back. There's a history of it. Their brothers hadn't come back. They see them not get arrested. They don't come back. 
So when um, Under Sheriff came to me, we decided to take this on. I said, well, we'd been thinking about doing this one week of letting you come in. So you get to come in in front of me. If your case has been adjudicated and you have a pending finder fee, we will work with you with community service or set up a payment plan. If your case has not been adjudicated, you have an option then. If you'd like to change your plea and plead guilty, then we'll assess you fines and fees and you can work that out. If you don't want to do any of those things and you end up in jail, we are going to work with the warden, our new warden, who has been great so far, I have to say. County, good job, whoever hired her. We're going to work with her. My intention, intention, this thing will go for every, other, every case. I have to look at everything on a case-by-case -case basis. My intention then is those folks that I could hold, I will hold. We will then put in orange vests. Under Sheriff's got two vans for me. He's got me um, some deputies, and he managed to get a bunch of supplies already donated. But if you, anyone wants to help us out with that, please do so. He got paint and trash bags. and So I'm not going to just hold them in custody. We're going to actually take them out of jail and get them in orange suits and get them to clean up our town. So that's our intention. The week, the period will start October 4th through the 7th. We may, we, made another, we, me, we may wait another week and then he'll start his roundups. And we're gonna do a couple of, week of weeks of roundups and see where that gets us. If we gotta do it again, we'll do it again. But that's a little bit about the surrender. This is what happens when we get together and talk, right? It's, it's happening. This is good stuff. Um, I do want to say, too, that um, there is another gentleman in our community. I don't see him here this evening. I was hoping he would be here. Greg Kirk is also doing some community service work with the, ju with the judicial system to put people to work community service-wise as well. So it's not just the sheriff, but everybody. But that is another step in the right direction and consequences for what you're doing, all right? So that is the first meeting. That took place on August 2nd. On August 3rd, Chief Boyd and I sat down in my office and had a very good heart-to-heart -heart conversation about policing in our community. Um, he is understaffed, folks. Our district attorney is understaffed. Our judges are overwhelmed, all right? We didn't get here overnight. We're not going to get out of this overnight. But we need to find solutions to, to address some of these things. So currently, when, when, when Chief and I talked, and I don't know if these numbers have changed, Chief, but seven vacancies is what I had at the time, down to six. That's a good thing. And four at the academy. Two now at the academy. So we've already had two of those four wash out. It's tough. Raise your hand if you want to be a police officer. <laughs> it's hard to get them, right? Especially in this day and age. There are budgetary concerns at the city. We know that. Trying to pay a respectable wage that will attract new officers is tough. Signing bonuses, ways to keep them on payroll, keep them in uniform and not going back and forth between city and county sheriff's departments 
How many times do you guys trade staff? That doesn't do us any good either. So we have to find a way that will get new police officers to our ranks, and we have to be willing to fund that effort. So every year the city and the county put together budgets, budgets for police and budgets for the sheriff are part of that budgeting process. Those vacancies sit, and that money sometimes gets moved because it's not being used and it needs a water line break somewhere. You got to find money somewhere, right, city manager? And so sometimes you rob Peter to pay Paul in the budget. We're going to suggest maybe holding on to that and using it specifically for what it was intended for. And if the pot builds a little bit, maybe we can increase our pay for officers, maybe we can do signing bonuses, maybe we can do a raise. That's what we want to talk to our city and county leadership about. Make sense? All right. So, we currently have a police force based on basically our population, the size of our community, give or take 20,000 people. What we need to do, you heard the number, 150 calls per day. We probably need to do a study that says, let's find out what adequate law enforcement is based on the number of calls, not our population, okay? How many police officers do we need to address 150 calls per day and get it done well? So that is a, something else we want to look into. And then we also um, need to find a way to deal with the frustration of our law enforcement officers. If you're out there picking up bad guys and bad gals all day long, day in, day out, seeing the stuff that they see, and then having to pick that same individual up maybe one or two days later because you picked them up, they got turned out because they had to be released. That's frustrating on you as well. You did your job well once, now you gotta go do it again for the same individual. It's frustrating. Morale can be tough. And so we need to lift them up and we need to support them whenever we can. That means we've got to come together as a community and really look at what our officers face. Not only long shifts, but after they get off shift, then they've got to deal with court, right? They have to show up in court. If they worked all night, they may have to be at court at nine o'clock. And they've got to be there and wait for their case to come up. It's tough work. So we really need to support them. Did I miss anything there, Chief Boy? Okay. August 18th. We met with our downtown business owners. Liz and Joe Sanchez are here. I want to give them a round of applause because they've done some outstanding work downtown. Liz is also a former board member for the chamber, um, and they are strong chamber members. Thank you for being here. They put together a strong group downtown within their block between 3rd and 2nd Street. 2nd and 3rd Street. They got a petition together and they went to the city and they said we have every business owner in this block agreeing to put up 10-foot gates in our alleyways to keep people out of the alleyway accessing our buildings and camping on our rooftops. 
And the city said yes. So those gates are going up as I understand it, right? That's a good thing. Joe and Liz, thanks for your hard work and thanks for the petition. That's what it takes, engagement, and we're going to talk more about that. We're going to need everybody who's here to stay engaged. All right? Um, Councillor Garcia, those gates are going up, but you have experience with the gates already, and I'm going to give you a few minutes to just talk about um, what, those, what the ramifications have been um, since, you, uh, since you saw the gates go up on the north side. Thank you, Bill. Good evening, and thank you, everybody, for coming. Um, you know, I, uh, District 1 is north side is um, my district that I represent, and, you know, for years and years, if you're from the north side, uh, it's kind of like the forgotten district. Um, so the neighbors for years and years have had trouble with uh, their homes, the school district there, um, with break-ins around the neighborhood, with transients harassing the kids going to school. Uh, the alleyways were um, being utilized as um, camps. There was rapes going on. There was one murder way back in, in a, few, a few years back. So it was just getting worse for the north side. So um, I believe uh, Council Yogosh was meeting at Mosbin Park and he was coming up with an idea of getting gates. So I, we met, we were having um, neighborhood meetings once a month. So when we met with the business owners, they came to some of the meetings and the neighbors came and they were just beyond frustrated uh, about all that was going on in their neighborhood. So we decided to, as a deterrent, to put up gates on each of the neighborhoods. And again, you have to have 100% of a each and every person has to agree to have that gate in order for it to work. So we started putting them up one by one, one by one. And the gate, the uh, alleyways were cleaned up. Uh, the graffiti was gone. Um, the neighbors took pride in cleaning up the alleyways. And they still continue that today. And it's a success and a de deterrent. But also, um, the transients on the north side that were doing uh, whatever they were doing illegally started coming to this side of town, which is downtown, which is also my district. So that's when last year we started having um, meetings with uh, Liz and Joe. Um, they took the bull by the horns and they're saying, of course, last year during the winter months, there was someone um, making a camp on top of their business and there was a fire. They found out they were making fires up on their business and next to a gas, um, um, whatever the gas, I, I can't think the word. Anyway, thank you. Um, and so uh, the fire department came, put out that fire, and it was uh, pretty disturbing to the business owners that there was camps being set up on the rooftops of the business owners on the businesses on Cole Street. So there was like two or three businesses that this was going on. So when we met again, we had some business owners come down and we had a meeting with Bill Lee and all those others. And that's when we came again to, as a deterrent and as a safety for the businesses and also for the transients that are up there. Um, again, during the summer months, making camps. They had a grill up there. They had a mattress up there. 
and they're pretty aggressive now, so um, you couldn't approach them. So they came to me and they just said, what can we do? We just tried everything. We've tried everything legally and we just can't keep them out. Uh, the graffiti was there. They were getting into the trash cans there. Um, so now we're going to hopefully, this will be a success, and this is our first gate that we're putting up, and it's a deterrent and it's a safety issue for the transients to try to get up there because uh, the last, when we had the meeting, there was four people up on the roof, and one of them was a pregnant girl, and it's, it ended up being a domestic, and they're carrying um, uh, box cutters and machetes. So they had found that they had made a handmade machete, and there was a fight up there going up there, and they started another fire. The next building over at that business, they were into the air conditioner, and they pulled out the water from the uh, air conditioner, and so the, the roof was leaking on that one. So that's when we decided to try the um, gates. And I just want to say, somebody had made a, a, a negative remark about our mayor, and I just want to set it straight that it wasn't the mayor's because he owns two businesses there. They said we did it just for his sake. No, we did it for the public and we did it for the businesses. So hopefully it'll be a success. Thank you. So again, this was done through a petition effort. You need to get with the city, talk with them about what you need to do if you want to do that in your alleyways. But that was a real problem. I mean. We could have easily burned up all of downtown with people camping on rooftops, setting fires to stay warm on top of the building will get your building burned down. So good work there. So from there, we went to a meeting with our district attorney. We've tried to cover all these bases, folks. We met with the district attorney on August 24th, um, district attorney, the, uh, attorney Bernadine Martin. I'm gonna tell you, district attorney, there were a lot of bets against you being here tonight. So thank you for being here, all right? I kept saying, she said she's gonna be there, she'll be there, and she, she is here. So thank you for being here, all right? Uh, District Attorney uh, Martin has been in office for only uh, coming up on nine months now. She started in January, new District Attorney. When we met with her, we talked about the incredible backlog of cases that she faced from former district attorneys. Um, I can tell you that police, both GPD and the Sheriff's Department will tell you there are murder cases that go back 10 to 12 years that are backlogged in her office. That's not on her. That's all stuff that was left undone, unfinished. I talked to a business owner just the other day, who got called by the district attorney's office to appear in court for something that took place in 2015. They're trying to catch up, but it's, a, it's going to be a long journey. Um, they are short-staffed. Let me tell you something about the district attorney's office. A law was passed by our legislature that doesn't permit a fluctuating pay scale for our district attorneys. Okay? If you are a district attorney in Gallup, New Mexico, or McKinley County, or whether you are a district attorney in Bernalillo, in Albuquerque, you get paid the same 
rate. She cannot attract other attorneys to come here by offering more pay or better benefits. It's tough to get them here. Consequently, and the judges will tell you this as well in our conversation, we talked about this, but because of that, because of being short-staffed, only a few pre-trial detention um, cases have been filed, right? I believe the number is two. We've only been able to file pre-trial detention in two cases since she took office. Our DA has to file in repeat offenders who are deemed incompetent. We have a gentleman in our community who has been convicted on 43 different felony counts. Out on the streets tonight. Okay? 43 times. The reason he's not in jail is because he has been at some point deemed incompetent to stand trial. The only person who has the authority to do something about that is our district attorney. She has to, or he, our, our district attorney's office, has to file the civil paperwork that sends this person to Las Vegas, New Mexico, and keeps them there until they are determined to be competent enough to stand trial. She is aware of that. What, there are parameters around that. Um, the microphone is there, um, district attorney. What are those parameters that we have to meet in order to file that paperwork? Again, we can only do what the law allows yeah. us to do. Go ahead. We're able to pursue, go beyond these incompetency determinations provided the defendant is dangerous. And then we proceed to what's called a danger, dangerousness hearing so that judge can determine if that particular defendant is a danger and he needs treatment. He or she needs treatment. Those typically have not been filed in the past from what I can tell. When we get these, we consider, are we going to challenge this determination of incompetency? This, I would say this county has had more incompetency petitions filed pro than probably others in the whole state. And when a defendant is determined to be incompetent, we can't go forward. We cannot go forward. We have a murder by homicide case where the defendant was determined incompetent. He killed somebody drunk driving. We're proceeding with a dangerousness hearing. We want him rehabilitated to competency so he can stand trial for killing people while under the influence of alcohol. We are not afraid to do that. We will challenge where we can challenge and win and where it most affects our community. There's so many, we can't do them all. It's very expensive because the, the uh, doctor that reviews these cases makes a determination. We have to hire our own doctor to challenge that determination. And these are psychiatrists, a lot of money. So we have to pick and choose which of these cases we will proceed to dangerous hearings with and challenge those determinations. District Attorney, we have a commitment from you, though, to go after these starting now. 
We've been doing them. Okay. We've been doing them. We have, I think we have our third case that we are going to have reviewed by our doctor to challenge the original competency determination. Good. All right. And then you might as well just stay up for just a second, District Attorney, because the other thing that you talked about, and I want to get kind of clear on how it works, um, our city attorney said it might be a good idea um, going forward, but you talked about creating a district court grand jury as a way to prosecute some of these things. Many, many jurisdictions use grand juries to determine probable cause in felony cases, and that would take a load off the magistrate court. For instance, tomorrow, Wednesdays is, is a pre preliminary hearing day in our magistrate courts. We have at least 30-some preliminary hearings scheduled. And I think we all can determine there's no way we're going to have 30-some hearings tomorrow. There's no way. And as you mentioned, as I went through all the outstanding intakes, I found 17 homicides that dated, one dated back to uh, 2010 that we're reviewing, I'm reviewing, and we're ready to file seven of them, but I don't want to choke the system with seven homicides. It also bottles up the public defender's office, um, it bottles up the magistrate courts, but I can't ignore these cases. They have to be filed, and a grand jury would make things, in my opinion, make things a lot easier for everyone, especially in, uh, rape cases. So we're, we're working our way toward developing the use of grand juries in our county. Thank you, District Attorney. So we're looking at things in her office as well. September 9th, we had a very productive meeting, um, and I'm just about out of meetings, I can tell you that. <laughs> okay. We had a very productive meeting with our judicial system, and I, judges, thank you because I know how busy you are. Thank you for creating that time and, and visiting with us. So during our conversation with the judges, they talked to me about what we talked about just moments ago, and that was the lack of pretrial detention cases that they've seen. They can't, they have to have that pretrial detention case brought before them before they can hold somebody until they, their case is being heard. Am I getting that right? Go, go ahead, Judge. judge. Let me take a mic over here. Here we go. Okay, it's on. Thank you, Bill. Yeah, thank you, Judge Sanders. Okay. So, um, in 2016, there was um, a constitutional amendment that came up before the voters of New Mexico. And 6,116,887 people voted for it. 87% of New Mexico voted for this. This law says that we can only hold someone for dangerousness if there is a pretrial detention he um, hearing that's filed. As soon as that case is filed, we stop. They're on a no bond hold and they go over to district court and they have to have the hearing. If those are not filed, those cases come before us for an arraignment, and if there is no history, no failure to appears, even if they committed murder, 
we have to follow the law and the Constitution we, what we upheld, and we have to release them. And we have our hands tied. And as a community member, we have family, we live here, and we're as concerned as you. I just want to mention one thing that I think will help us that we talked to Bill. We put people on scram bracelets and GPS bracelets, and that's really all that we have. But if a person doesn't pay for it or they don't have enough, we can't even do that. So if you know anybody that can help fund those scram bracelets or GPS bracelets for us, we need them. At least it's something that we can have to hold these people accountable, at least a GPS bracelet to watch where they're going, or a scram bracelet to see if they're not drinking. Thank you, Judge. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead, Judge. I like to talk. So judge, sorry. Judge, <laughs> Judge. Oh, shoot, my earring just flew. I wanted to add a little bit of history behind that 2016 amendment. The idea behind that amendment, and it's over there, I'll grab it, was that a, state, a, a case named State v. Brown came down in 2014. Two things came out of State v. Brown. One of the things said you cannot hold someone based on their charge alone, right? You're innocent until proven guilty. That is your constitutional right. Most important rights we have, which we must protect. Secondly, the, it was looking like bond was placed on just about everybody, and the only people who could bond out are the people who have money, right? So the idea was the poor, rich people are getting out, poor people are staying in jail. And that's the way it was sort of written. When you all got into the little booth and you voted yes, none of you would have done that, I'm sure, if it said release everybody, right? It didn't say that. It was sort of pulling at your heartstrings a little bit. And it said more like, not only the rich people should get out of jail, we got to, only poor people were getting held. And to add a little bit, so that's, what, that's what, how it happened. State v. Brown, 2014, 2016, y'all got in the booth and passed it. Now we're all screaming what the heck's going on because we have to basically release everybody. Um, I don't know if anybody watched the news the other night. Artie Pepin from the AOC came on. AOC is the administrative office of the courts. They are in charge of all the courts. He is in charge of that. That's not the AOC in Washington. No, administrative office of the courts. They did a study, and the study was only based in Albuquerque. The study said less than 1% of the people let, let out on pre-trial release committed new violent first-degree felonies. Less than 5% committed new felonies, right? What they're saying is it's working, guys. So if you don't think it's working, you've got to make some noise. To add to a little bit of what are we doing for that, these judges, the three of them, are working with the courts and they're starting a new system where they're gonna be graded. Defendants are gonna be graded, the pretrial release program, which is gonna help the judges determine release and what conditions if, if released. By graded, I mean there's gonna be an individual hired, which they've already hired, who's gonna be able to look at the defendants current status, ties to the community, job, family, their past, if they've been charged before, what type of crimes they've been charged with, have they showed up to court, right? Flight risk, safety to themselves or the community. We're all now gonna have this tool that's gonna be, start to be used.
and hopefully that helps all of us. But time will tell. But if you want that to be changed, we as the judges aren't the folks to scream at. We shall. When, when it says you shall release, it doesn't say you may. It says you shall release. We don't have an option. We have to release. We can no longer keep people in jail on bonds because only the poor are staying in. And that was the idea. So let's get some bail reform, guys. All right. There you go. We're going to talk about that piece in just a minute. So, yes, you hear the frustration from our judges already, right? They're frustrated too. This catch and release stuff, they don't like it any more than we do. And the Bail Reform Act had a lot of unintended consequences, and we're paying the price for that, not only in Gallup, New Mexico, but my goodness, look what's happening in the big city just to the east of us. Albuquerque is a train wreck, and we want to stop this stuff before it gets to Gallup. All right. Um, they are only able to do what the law allows them to do. Lots of frustration on their end. Community service sentencing is taking place. We talked about that with uh, Judge Griego. Um, and there are treatment solutions for those with substance abuse issues. Deb Martinez from the city, do you want to give a quick update on just a small program that you are trying to get launched called the LEAD program? All right? We're bringing the mic to you. And while she's getting ready for the mic, I just want to point out something else that was said by Judge Sanders. The scram bracelets, the GPS trackers, are something that we have to get done. Right now, if somebody is, is not able to pay for it, if they, get, if they get sentenced to have a scram bracelet and they can't pay for it, they, they don't put one on them, they can't. Or if they have been picked up again and they have a balance from a previous scram bracelet being put on them, they can't put the bracelet back on until that balance is paid off. That's what the law says right now. We have to get some laws changed. Okay, so that's what we're going to work on. Deb, go ahead with your lead program. I'm Deborah Martinez, the Behavioral Health Manager for the City of Gallup. I just want to talk about our new grant who we've partnered with, with a lot of the judges here, Gallup Police Department, um, City Councilor Palachek, um, Deanne Martin, and I'll, I'll hand it over to Nicole to let you know what it's about. We have a new grant and we're starting a lead program. It's a law enforcement assisted diversion program. And so we're working with our city of Gallup Police Department, also with our judges, Councilor Palachuk, and hopefully soon DA Martin's office. So with our law enforcement assisted diversion program, it's where our police officers for Gallup Police Department are allowed or offered the chance to divert individuals for low level misdemeanors into intensive case management in lieu of arrest. So it's not for everybody, but for some people that our police officers do know, people they've encountered over and over, and they know that they're gonna keep offending, they can refer them to our program, and our program, we're working with Santa Fe Recovery, the Four Corners Detox, and we are gonna work with these individuals with intensive case management. With intensive case management, our individuals, the clients are allowed to have um, 
job training, we could help with employment, um, if they need help with their rent, anything they need help with, the case managers will work with them. And the funding is from a federal grant on this, correct? Some of it's federal and ours is from state. Okay. So state and federal funding. Yes. All right. And so we're, we're in the process of launching this program, correct? Okay. Um, that was then, a yes. What's that? That was a yes. Okay. So now the last thing that I need to talk with you about, and then we're going to give our panelists a couple of quick minutes, and then we're going to get to questions because I know they all want to answer your questions. Okay? And I just want to commend everybody. Everybody has been extremely gracious and civil here tonight. That's what I love about our community. And we need to keep it that way. Yep, y'all are great. Thank you. Um, we need to keep it that way as we go to the question and answer period. But before we get to that piece, January is not far away. Fall was in the air this morning, right? 37 degrees this morning? January gets pretty hot up in Santa Fe. There's a lot of hot air going on, and if anybody knows hot air, I do. All right? But our legislature is going to get together. That's a dangerous time. I always say we're better off when they're not meeting. But our governor, supposedly, this is a 30-day session. 30-day session, they are required to do one thing and one thing only, and that is the budget. Do the budget. The only way they can talk about other items is for the governor, whoever it is, he or she, to put it on what they call the call. If the governor puts something on the call during the 30-day session, then the legislature may also address that issue. Doesn't mean they will, but they have the opportunity to. So, our governor has already said that she plans to put crime on the 30-day call. In that initiative, she wants to see funding for more police officers. City manager, how many more? Did she say? She wants to put aside $100 million for 1,000 police officers. What we don't know is how many of those officers would be dedicated to Gallup, New Mexico, or to McKinley County. You're shaking your head. State police? Mm-hmm. Okay. We need to go deeper than that. We need some changes made. We need funding for scram bracelets to put people on, to hold people and hold them accountable. We need to focus on the Bail Reform Act. That is going to be a heavy lift because it is already a constitutional amendment. And that means we'd have to roll it back constitutionally. It doesn't mean it can't be done. It's just a heavy lift. All right? Um, we need to have commitment from our legislators. They would have been here tonight. Both Senator Munoz and uh, Representative Lundstrom committed that they will carry tough crime legislation out of our community, and they will support tough crime legislation. 
they don't like it any more than you do. The reason they are not here tonight is they are both at a legislative finance committee hearing in Santa Fe. Okay? They had to be there. So that's why they are not here. So we do have commitments from them to carry tough legislation on crime. And before you leave here tonight, Lori, where are you? This is Lori Parra, now on our staff at the Chamber of Commerce. We're lucky to have her. Glad she's here. My other staff members are here too. Where is Cecilia? Hi, Cecilia and Lise. They do an incredible job. Okay? I have the best team. Th those are the people who run the chamber. I just go to meetings. Okay? Um, but before you leave here tonight, like I said, I need your engagement. We've gotten really good. Your Gallup-McKinley County Chamber of Commerce has gotten really good at going to Santa Fe and lobbying for our businesses, lobbying for positive change in our communities, right? We do a lot of it. We're up there every session. I can tell you they know who we are. All right, we are, we are a well-respected Chamber of Commerce at the legislature. They listen to us. When I say I speak on behalf of over 300 businesses in our community, we get their attention. But I can only go so far. What I will tell you is when I show up with five, ten, or a dozen other concerned citizens at my side, also ready to stand up and testify in a committee hearing about what's happening to them, and why we need new crime legislation, that's when things get done. So tonight, Lori is going to pass around, or before you leave, there'll be a place to sign up back here. I realize that not everybody can go to Santa Fe, that not everybody can get up and testify. I get that. But if I have a list of people that I can call on, a coalition that I can call on to say, hey, I've got to go to Santa Fe tomorrow and testify for this hearing. Can you join me to, to speak up for Gallup? If you can come, that's going to be an asset. It will be a tremendous asset. And we need a coalition like that. I need you all to stay engaged. I've heard so many people say they were glad we were doing this tonight. And you're proof that people are concerned. You're here. I wish we had a much bigger a place and I wish it was more packed but we start somewhere and this is a good start alright so that coalition will begin to get formed all I need is your name and your email address and a telephone number basically and I promise not to share it with anybody alright but we need people to stay engaged legislative with that I think I'm gonna go to you first mayor anything you want to add tonight interesting tonight is the fact that uh, we are concerned citizens. You know, I, as a citizen myself, I mean, I, I see stuff on a daily basis. I see vandalism, I see shoplifting, I see graffiti, and I think, well, okay, I guess that's, you know, everyday type of stuff that we have to put up with. But then it reaches a point that that's way more than we should be appreciative. You know, we, we need to do something. And it really makes me feel good to see this many citizens here tonight with a concern 
because as one of the as uh, uh, Judge Sanders mentioned, uh, we live here, our families are here, our kids are growing up here, and yes, we are concerned about our community. So again, with that being said, thank you for coming. I appreciate every citizen in Gallup that takes this as a concern. With that being said, I'll get, pass it on to Bill. Do you want me to pass it on to somebody else? Or? Yeah, Marianne, did you want to say anything? I'll just echo the mayor. I appreciate everyone coming out tonight. I just, I just want to tell you that it, I, we appreciate Bill Lee. Let's give him a hand for having this forum tonight. We really appreciate that. <laughs> He's a great facilitator. I know I was in a four-hour meeting with him today that he was facilitating. I don't know where you get your energy. But I think it's really important that you bring everybody together. It's really, really great to hear from the judges and from the sheriff. And, and, and from the DA, because we all have to work together to solve this problem. We at the city are really interested in revitalization and roads and water and sewer and all the other things, but public safety is number one, because if we don't solve that problem, we won't be successful at anything else. So thank you so much again. I really appreciate it. We're looking forward to hearing from everybody. Thank you. Councillor Palachek. I'm going to skip past you, Councillor Garcia, because you, you, you did your thing. Okay, thanks. I'm a city councilor, Fran Palachek, and I've, I just appreciate you all coming forward with your problems, because if you don't let us know that you've got a problem, we think everything's fine. So if you call me or if you stop me at the supermarket and tell me you have a problem, I try to write it down so I don't forget because I'm busy too, but I try to address that problem. I, get staff involved, I'll call the city manager. As your representative, I'm a representative of the city. I'm here to help all the citizens, not just the west side. I'm here to help anybody who needs help. And I w I'm willing to foster that and, and take your problems to City Hall. So please, always feel free to call and let us know what's going on and we will do our best to make something happen, or we will ask to have a meeting with all the people involved. I wanna thank Bill for bringing this together, but certainly all of you for coming forward. And with that said, if we have an issue coming before city council, please come to council and tell us what your position is. Because when I don't hear from someone, I'm relying on just my interpretation of what's being said. Coming after the fact is not gonna help. You need to be at those meetings in support of your position to help me reach the right decision. So when you don't do that and you come in afterwards and yell at me, it does absolutely no good. But I thank you for being here today. Thank you. Uh, Councilor, I'm gonna pass things over here real quick to uh, our city attorney, Curtis Hayes. Curtis? Well, you know, the governor um, would like to appear tough on crime, and certainly devoting money to more law enforcement is, uh, you know, a laudable um, campaign promise, and, and the campaign's already started. But, you know, if you own a business downtown and it's broken into, it's not going to be a state police officer that's going to work that case. It's going to be somebody from the Gallup Police Department. If you own a business out in the county and it's broken into, or you have a, you're a victim of a crime out in the county, 
it's not going to be the state police that's going to respond. It's going to be a deputy from the sheriff's department. And, you know, for whatever reason, the New Mexico Department of Public Safety seems to have a lot of political clout. And when they say they need more officers or more pay, they seem to get it. Um, those resources need to come to the local level, to those officers, those departments who deal with the kind of crime that you are experiencing. So, you know, when you're talking about lobbying efforts, that's the sort of thing that you can convince your state representatives and your state senators to support, which is diverting that money to the departments where it's needed. Absolutely. And that's one of the things we're going to fight. So if she's going to put $100 million, if our governor is going to put $100 million into more police officers, they don't all necessarily need to go to the state police. We need help in other communities in New Mexico. And so we need to fight for that. Thank you, City Attorney. We appreciate it. All right. Everybody, I think, captains, I know you're here clarifying. Judges, anything you would like to add? You're good? Okay. Oh, you have okay. Let me get you a mic. Thank you, Judge Sanders. Okay, I, I, there's two things I want to bring up. Um, when we were talking about the the warrant roundup, a lot of our warrants don't live even in New Mexico. They live in Arizona, so I think a lot of our problems in Gallup are we're a border town city. And I think we need to look at other cities that are border town cities and how they handle their problems and maybe we can get some insight. Um, and the other thing I wanted to bring up that I have seen personally and really concerned, in the last two years we'd have an uptake of our young kids, drugs, alcohol, that's the root of all our problems. Those kids are blowing to .35, they're 18 years old, it is bad. We are losing our children. We need things for them to do. I love that the city did, but we need to invest in our children. And it's not gonna change. If we don't invest in them, we're just spinning our wheels. And we'll be trying to get them treatment when they're on their third offense. We have to invest in our children. And that's my concern. Thank you. Thank you, Judge Sanders. Yes, Judge Yonta. Thank you. Okay. Um, I made up a little list of things that uh, we, the judges, uh, can do. In the, now, this is magistrate court stuff. It's not district court. Right. Um, uh, and things that I would like to see changed or change. And so I'm going to get down the list. But I think um, first thing is for pretrial release, uh, the way it works now is it's solely dependent upon whether the person uh, charged uh, will show up. You, you, you cannot look, you cannot put a bond on somebody if they, uh, uh, if they, if they show up, even though they've got a, a history of, what was this one, 100 and some odd cases against the guy in the uh, so you can't do that so the law should be changed uh, so that a prior history of defendants can be considered by the judge on his own uh, and a mandatory bond or third-party custody can be ordered a third-party custody means 
that uh, you're being sent home to watch uh, to, to live with your mother. Uh, so that works too. But anyway, the second thing is the uh, per the in the uh, violent crime status report. There were I annualized that, and there are 548 cases eight, eight, annually. This is the lo most frequently occurring crime in the county. Not, and that doesn't even include the felony battery on a household member cases. Um, th there's also, I found just looking at it, a history, for some reason, there is a direct correlation between battery on a household member, domestic abuse, and uh, alcohol drug issues, or drug issues. So. Uh, to, uh, uh, to give you the background. So, when we have a defendant who is charged with battery on a household member and we're cons concerned with uh, pretrial release, that release should be at all times on a GPS. Uh, a GPS is called a, a global positioning system for those who don't know it. And um, anyway, then anybody with pending alcohol or drug charges or higher prior history of abuse must have a scram. And a scram is the thing that uh, tells um, the uh, probation and parole, uh, pretrial release rather, uh, whether uh, somebody's drinking. And so you can you um, you can combine them and. Uh, be notified when they're they're drinking and or uh, when they're uh, approaching the victim. Okay. Now, when we get to trial, uh, the batter, battery on a household member defendants. One of our big problems is uh, the uh, the victim says, "Oh, I don't want to do anything. I do, I want him back." Blah, 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 blah. And they the. The prosecutor, uh, Ms. Martin and, and her staff are totally frustrated with this because there's nothing they can do about it. Well, there is. The court can issue what's called a material witness warrant. Um, and he doesn't even have to ask the DA to do it. Now, that would be a change. But I think the, if the court issued a material witness warrant on its own, uh, for the victim, then uh, that would force these victims to come in. Now, then you hear the argument, well, you're just re-victimizing the victim. The answer is no, because the victims are re-victimizing themselves by going, uh, not showing up. Okay. Third issue is, yeah, <laughs> is uh, uh, post-trial battery on household member issues. Okay, again, we want the defendant put on a GPS uh, at the judge's discretion um, and absolutely no contact with the victim or children of the victim is, less, is allowed unless by judge's order. Typically we get this, oh, I would like peaceful contact. No, uh, you can't have that. The, the remedy is separation. Next thing, there is no uh, there is no minimum for a convicted battery on a household member perpetrator. Uh, the, the, I 
suggest or would like to see the legislature make, uh, make it a minimum of 30 days minimum by statute, no matter what. And the reason is, uh, and I can give you an example, is that uh, in the initial stages, a battery on household member perpetrator, the only thing that's going to wake him up, or her, is somebody who's bigger and badder and meaner coming over and shaking them by, you know, picking them up by the scruff of the neck and, and shaking them. And when you see these cases, sometimes you'd like to have a couple of guys outside with baseball bats waiting for the defendant to walk out, but I uh, can't do that. So, okay. So, Judge, what it sounds to me like is I need to sit down with you and the rest of the judges and figure out some ways that we can put together some legislation that we can get some things changed. Um, and in the interest of time, and we've got a lot of people who want to ask questions, I would like to move to that item, if you don't mind, sir. Okay, I, I, had, uh, I know you've got other items there. Well, the one, the one I think is most important is probation. Probation is probation is probation. It's not, well, I'm going to try. So if somebody violates anything on probation, there should be a minimum sentence. Okay. That's it. Thank uh, you. I, Thank you, Judge. All right. Before we leave tonight, too, I'm going to open the floor for questions. If you've got a question, please come down to the microphone. I want to, I want to point out a couple of things. Um, after questioning, I want uh, Under Sheriff Mariano to talk about another program that we're looking into that will impact courts as well as the city and the county and its repeat offender program. And we're going to talk a little bit about that and other communities that are doing it and how we might be able to model it. So, um, Under Sheriff, get ready. Um, in the meantime, I also was negligent earlier by saying, not, by not saying, thank you to Hojo Academy, right? We had no idea how big a crowd we were going to get. We were hoping for thousands, but that's okay. Again, we're taking steps, all right? Era Green, who serves on our board from Hojo Academy, helped us put this together, and Hojo, which has been a victim of crime already in this new beautiful facility, has already um, experienced what we've all kind of been talking about here, graciously agreed and donated the use of this gym and their facility to the chamber tonight. So, thank you. All right, if you have a question, I'm going to ask that you come to the floor and on the microphone ask your question. The reason I'm asking for that is tonight is also being recorded by Rachel Cobb and the staff at KGLP, our public radio station, and will be rebroadcast. So Rachel, thank you for doing that, okay? So I'm going to ask you to come down. Yep. So questions, the floor is open. I'll just take, raise hands and I'll try to get you. Questions. Oh, come on down, Matt. How are you? Good. Thanks for being here. Matt Hubanks, Red Rock Security, former chamber board member. Glad you're here. Good evening. Thank you all for being here tonight. Uh, most of you are aware, some of you don't. Uh, retired law enforcement with McKinley County Sheriff's Office, also a business owner. So I get to see, I got to see what's on both sides. Okay, earlier we talked about people being vigilantes, and that's a big no no. Okay. Being a business owner, 
in, in talking with other business owners in this town, the business owners are scared and want to be able to protect what's theirs. Everything. So how do we come to get a, a, a resolution for that or solve this problem? Uh, looking for answer or uh, ideas from the sheriff's office and from the city, is their neighborhood watch program still going or active today? Okay. Somebody uh, want to answer? Chief Boyd, we get your mic. So did everybody hear the question? Question is, is Neighborhood Watch still active today in Gallup? The Neighborhood Watch program. So to answer your question directly, the answer is no. A big component of any Neighborhood Watch. To answer your question, the answer is no. A big component regarding Neighborhood Watch programs is that the neighborhood in question has to be involved. They have to, they have to organize neighbors within this organization overseen by the Gallup Police Department as well as with the participation of the Gallup Police Department. We used to have a very active Northside Neighborhood uh, Association. It was a very good association. We had many meetings on the Northside. I believe Councillor uh, Garcia hosted these meetings. I've been to many of them. The captains have been to many of them to address these neighborhood issues. So it's, I don't know if COVID, I hate to blame everything on COVID, but I don't know if COVID stopped that. But we were always, we are always on board to be a part of a neighborhood watch program. It's a, it's a concept that I already talked about. So if anybody in your neighborhood wants to organize a neighborhood watch program, reach out to us. We're always available. So it's a 50-50 partnership in that regard. Okay? Thank you. Uh, I'll turn it over again on the show. So to answer your question simply, I think it's no. But we gave two presentations this year, one to Theroux, and the other one was to Navajo, New Mexico. Those were the two communities that reached out and asked if we could start. So the process has started, but neither are registered. So the answer is no. There are no community watch programs in McKinley County that I know of. Okay. So here you are, folks. If you want a neighborhood watch program, you can get it. You can research it online. You can get with the sheriff's office or the city to assist you in, in uh, making your neighborhood safer, you know, in the businesses safer. Okay. Don't be afraid to use your voice. Okay. We shouldn't have our heads in the sand. We need to be proactive and take our city back. Okay. We have to be proactive and we can be proactive without being a vigilante. Okay, we're here. Obviously, we care about the law. We're here because we support the law enforcement. We support, and I feel sorry for these guys today of what they have to go through today. Everything. So let's give these guys a big round of applause. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Matt. Uh, I'd like to make a comment that Northside uh, Neighborhood Association. We are still active, but we are active by uh, communicating by telephone. Uh, uh, what we had done earlier was we have different telephone numbers to different people that are, that are I have a president that's very active in getting everybody together. They'll call her, they'll call me uh, as soon, and it was because of COVID that we stopped for this year, but we still keep in contact and the neighborhood associations are really important because uh, there's communication, there's education, and knowing, knowing that each department, because they're coming complaining, saying, city's not doing this, police is not doing this, Metro's not coming around, uh, whatever the complaint is, so we'll bring them in and then we'll, uh, they'll have a discussion and the police department is 
really good about coming in and informing us on what's going on in the neighborhood and with the city. So we are going to continue, but just the COVID right now is holding us back. We'll continue those shortly. Thank, thank you, you, Counselor. So that's a great start. That's great. Um, thank you, Matt, for coming with solutions. I appreciate that. The Neighborhood Watch Program has worked in the past in our community. Um, the Neighborhood Watch Program in my day was citywide. I couldn't do anything without getting home, and my, old, my mom already knew what she was going to do with the belt when I got home. So um, that's kind of what it is. Yeah. Bear in mind that the, current, the criminal justice system, as it functions now, is reactive. Police don't get involved until someone is called. Typically, when a crime has occurred, the DA gets involved once that crime is documented and a criminal complaint is filed. Unfortunately, we aren't proactive. We are reactive, and we really, really encourage communities to be proactive with neighborhood watch, you know, calling in to 911 if you see a down and out person. Um, we all have to do that. I mean, I do it constantly, unfortunately, but if I see someone on the street, I call. So bear that in mind. It, it'll help put things in perspective on, on our duties as uh, the law enforcement community. Thank you, District Attorney. Other questions? Yes, come on up. Mr. Eby. Good to see you. Thanks for being here tonight. So I actually have uh, a couple of questions. The first is for the undersheriff and police chief. Have we seriously considered a reserve police force or volunteer deputies for those uh, uh, departments to assist with the call volume? Uh, yes, we have considered a reserve force. Actually, uh, the Gallup Police Department yep. did have a reserve why force. You, why don't you start passing it around? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we've considered it. Um, we actually did have a reserve force. It was so long ago, I would dare to say it was in the 70s and 80s. Um, I believe the sheriffs had a mounted patrol. I believe that's what they were called, reserve force. But uh, <clears throat> recently, um, as, as, as far as about two years ago, we did consider uh, creating reserve force. Um, I would assume primarily retired police officers or volunteers from the community would be a part of this reserve force. Uh, some things I had to think about was the liability in regard to reserve force. The reserve force under any chief or sheriff would fall, fall under our command. They would fall under our directives and things of that nature. As we all know, we have a a, uh, a new law that holds us very accountable now in regard to anything we, we do. Um, we're held civilly liable for anything that goes wrong. I had to consider those options in regard to creating reserve force because they'd be acting the, under the color of my authority. If they do something wrong, I'm responsible. We are talking about a reserve force. I have certified trained police officers right now who are getting sued left and right just for doing their job. I can't imagine that the New Mexico Insurance Fund would advocate me putting officers, reserve officers, untrained, uncertified out on the streets and carrying all this liability. So I thought about it. Is it still under consideration? Yes, it is. Uh, right now, I can't even fill my own ranks with certified police officers as it is. 
I think the most I could ever get out of a reserve police officer is a watch program. If that means watching a certain neighborhood or the downtown district and these businesses, they would be eyes and ears only in that regard. And even then, if I created an SOP for them, unfortunately, again, they would fall under my authority. And anything they did or didn't do that hurt somebody, caused property damage, or the whole cause and effect thing, I would be responsible. The city would be responsible. Our insurance fund would be responsible. It's a high, high liability issue. Back in the day when we used to hire brand new police officers before they went to the academy, we put them downtown, a badge and a gun. Trained, they're uncertified. I got rid of that practice. It's, there's too much liability in that. So it's a tough decision. We're still thinking about it. Uh, I don't see it happening anytime soon. I'm, right now, my priorities are getting officers on the streets. It's a great idea. It worked great in the past. I don't see why it should. I need to navigate all the legalities of, of this issue. Yeah. Thank you, Chief Boyd. Uh, Under Sheriff, do you, same question, I guess, to you for the county? Yes. Uh, sure. So our reserve unit hasn't been active since 2012, um, maybe 2011. And when the lawyer case hit about cross-commissioning, the sheriff had to work with the county attorney to find out how can you do that without opening yourself to liability. And so our way was to do a limited commission. So that limited commission means they have to operate in the proximity of the deputy and they can't go out on their own. But it would be helpful. Absolutely. Uh, so my second question, thank you, Under Sheriff and Chief Boyd, really appreciate that. Uh, second question goes out to the uh, judicial side, to uh, the DA and the judges. Um, I've personally been uh, a part of two cases now where somebody has either seriously physically injured one of my family members or killed a good friend of mine's wife, which is a case that the DA brought up earlier, and both of those defendants were deemed incompetent. What can we do to combat that as a first defense by this public defender's office? How can we, how can we limit them from continually going to their first option is incompetence, which seems to be a, a trend, is they just go, okay, they're incompetent, and now that person is back on our streets to physically assault somebody with a deadly weapon, so on and so forth, or they're back on our streets potentially drinking and driving and killing somebody as well. Thank you, James. I am sorry of your um, experiences, but as I said earlier, it's a prerogative of a defendant and his counsel to raise a competency issue. Defendants have rights. Um, we all have rights. So if they raise it, it's got to run through the system. And my office cannot afford to challenge all of them. We're challenging the most serious ones. We will continue to challenge them. And maybe things will change. Um, I'm not a doctor, so I can read these evaluation reports, and I don't know what it says. It talks about access here, pseudo this. I don't know what it means. So that's why we're going to challenge the ones that we can challenge. And if you'd like to come and see me and give me the names of those cases, I'd be happy to look them up for you. So we're, we're doing as much as we can with what we have. And I am committed, 
committed to this community to make it safer and prosecute as many of these cases as we can. We'll challenge anybody. We'll challenge defense counsel. Um, and I think our courts have heard these arguments um, that we raise against de defense motions and, and all. So we're doing as much as we can and we'll continue. We're working our way through it. The pandemic didn't help. All it did was pile up cases. So Lori is passing around the uh, sign-up sheets for our coalition. Hopefully you'll get to You had a question? Come on down. I want to add to, to um, DA Martin's response. Oh, hi. <laughs> uh, beyond challenging competency, yes, that is one step. We, and she's brought up challenging competency a couple of times. And, it, and that's not where it should stop. Um, if she loses that challenge, we, she only touched on this quickly, which is the dangerousness. And I think we need to put a little pressure there. As a, I'm speaking a little bit now as, as, as um, a citizen, and I happen to be a little bit educated in that. So beyond just challenging that competency, the next step, if she loses that challenge, yes, it costs a lot of money, um, the public defender has to come up with the same amount of money to raise the issue. Um, and the gentleman who asked the question said, the public defender just uses that and raises it. I, I came from the public defender department, so I, I'm going to take that a little personal. <laughs> we have a public defender here, um, Conrad Freely, and having known him and watched him work and actually having hired him, never can I say has he raised that lightly. Um, there's a process that's followed before they do that. But to continue my thought is challenging, you shouldn't stop there. The dangerousness petitions have, need to be filed. Um, it's, and it, it has to, that has, that process needs to be followed through. It is not a difficult process. It is not a difficult process. There are, I could probably tell you that she's got the forms in her office and her computer. They need to be filed. We have three judges at district court that could hear it. It could actually, the, the right process to follow is under that competency case, when the defendant is found incompetent, immediately the dangerousness should be raised. At that time, there's an evidentiary hearing. The judge will make a finding if there's a danger, if he's a danger or not. So and that needs to be done by the prosecutor. It has attorney. to be, it has, shall, it shall be done. <laughs> it only could be done by the prosecutor. We, the judges, cannot do that. The public defender cannot do that. The police cannot do that. Only Ms. Martin could do that. And I, although I know that she's understaffed, as a community member, I'd like to put a little bit of pressure on her for, to do that. And, and, to, and to just maybe stand up for the public defender department a little bit is that it's not brought up lightly. And normally, we already know those folks who have been identified incompetent. And so we know when to raise that, right? Um, and and I, so I just wanted to add that. that that had, there has to be some follow through with the incompetency stuff. Thank you. Thank you, Judge. How you doing? Um, I'd like to thank Billy and uh, the Chamber for putting this on. This is a great event. I'm glad that you're hosting it. Um, today we talked about a lot of long-term solutions, and that's great. That, that's going to be awesome if we can repeal the Bail Reform Act. But that's a long-term solution. What about the short-term solutions? It is, it is um, an adventure 
driving down 2nd Street every day. I drive 2nd Street probably 10 times a day at least. And I kid you not when I tell you at least, at least once a day, I'm like, oh my God, I've never seen that before. And we need, how can we do some, what's the short-term solution to improve our quality of life? And I guess this is to Chief Boyd. And, um, you know, behind Sundance Dental, there's tunnels back there. People are living back there. Um, and then, you know, above, above Second Street over there, you know, there's constantly people drinking beer and hanging out and watching traffic go by. And it's... There's, there's got to be some short-term solutions to this, and I'd propose one. One would be we put a fence in that area where everyone's hanging out on the west side of 2nd Street, and, you know, if, if, if that fence is put there on that flat area, I don't think anyone's going to want to relax on the sloped area, and that's a very easy short-term solution we can do. Um, it's been reported to the city um, numerous times and they're like we can't do anything about it because it's not technically a transient camp well then what is it and how do we how do we solve it good question thank you that, that's a great question and i think uh for the most part that's one of the biggest reasons regarding why we're here tonight is those low level misdemeanor crimes that really wreak havoc on our quality of life right so i want to um Give a real quick brief before I answer the question in regard to all the homelessness and the transients and all the increased foot traffic that we see uh, downtown, the, south, the second street corridor on the north side. I gave you guys some stats real quick. I just want to go reference some things in regard to why we're seeing more traffic, in my opinion, uh, uh, in regard to the panhandling, the, uh, the, the mess we see that we just talked about. In uh, 2018, our uh, public service aid officers picked up uh, 14,000 inebriants off the streets and took them to NCI. In 2019, we picked up 15,000 inebriants, and I only have eight public service officers. That's a lot of work. Those are a lot of intakes using the uh, Detoxification Reform Act that gives us the authority to take these people off the streets because being inebriated in public is not a crime. In 2020, that number went down substantially to just under 6,000 intakes to detox. That's a huge, huge difference, right? Of course, we know why. It's because of the pandemic. NCI was very, very restricted in how many people they would take into their facility, and that just wreaked havoc on our police officers. That wreaked havoc on the local hospitals. We had no choice but to take them to the hospital and to make, so they can give us the green light to let them go because by law, we took them into custody for a reason. They're in, unable to care for themselves. And we can't just release them back on the streets. We're liable for them now. In uh, 2021, that number dropped again to 2,600 intakes at NCI for, for basically the same reasons. And on top of that, if you guys drive down 66 and uh, Ford, you'll see that, and thank you to the um, code enforcement for assisting or actually they were the main boots on the ground we just assisted them in eradicating about six high volume call nuisance hotels within our community you drive through that way it's night and day you see the difference it's night and day it's it's just pretty it's clean there's no there's no foot traffic there's no even those businesses thanked us for doing that that's another reason that you see more foot traffic these people have they need some place to go right and they're going to go someplace so that's another reason why you see a lot of foot traffic. Another reason why it's in your stats 
our uh, code enforcement officer as well as our one set team officer, they eradicated dozens and dozens and dozens of homeless camps within our, within our city and on the perimeters of our city. It takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of effort, and it takes a lot of money to eradicate these homeless camps. We can't just hire laborers off the street and say, let's clean this place up. There's OSHA rules, there's safety rules, there's biohazards, it costs a lot of money. We've eradicated tons and tons of homeless camps. I'm talking about simple mattresses on the ground to extravagant places that actually have electricity illegally wired in them. So again, we're dealing with these homeless camps. Yes, that also created an issue regarding uh, homeless people on the streets. And we already know that uh, they're highly intoxicated and things of that nature. Um, so to answer your question, sir, uh, first I wanted to make a point about how, um, uh, why we see an increase in all this homeless thing, homeless issues. So short-term solutions, right? That's what we need to focus on. We need to deal with a mechanism to where we can continue to pick up these homeless inebriants and we have some place to take them. That's not an easy solution. That's not a, an easy answer because we don't have the facilities, and the facilities we do have are restricted due to um, Department of Health regulations, right? Um, I'm still starting, trying to increase the number of our public service officers who deal with these issues. And with any luck, I'm going to reemphasize that we need to man up our special enforcement team because in 2018, we created a brand new district uh, within the Gallup Police Department, which will be solely dedicated with staffed officers of set team officers. That unit was designated the downtown district unit. It covered all of downtown, the businesses, and the second street corridor, and some hot spots on the north side. I set all my set team officers to concentrate on these specific issues to deal with these, to t deal with these problems. So again, like I said, I only have one officer, but at some point, I get it. I'm going to have to bite the bullet and, and then reallocate and reshuffle our officers to deal with these issues and be proactive and not reactive. I'm well aware of what's going on on the Second Street corridor. I had a call, a complaint the other day uh, from a lady who emailed me about the same issue, inebriance in the, I believe it's a trademark square down the street or up the street. She said, why are there so many inebriates here? I can't do business. Comes to find, we come to find out that her business is surrounded by trees and shrubs. There's no lighting. There's an open faucet where they do their laundry. And, um, you know, we, we respond dozens of times a day taking them off the streets. But at some point, our partnership needs to be more than picking up the phone and calling 911. That's a business square. Why is there not uh, some security there to give us a hand? We can't be there 24 hours a day. You see the numbers, we're going from call to call to call picking these people up. So let's form a partnership, maybe they can get some private security and at least keep them moving or keep them off the property. So it's good to see that some businesses in our community have hired security. I think uh, Albertsons is one. Just things, of, things like that. So I hope that answers your question. I know it's not a short, short-term solution, but it's always been on our radar and always will be on our radar. Thank you. Thank you, Chief. I'm going to add to that I... real quick, Bill. Of course I am, real quickly. And I'm only going to do this as a, as a thought because I don't want to forget it. Um, Captain Pablo has done a really great job of making sure that the officers are in my courtroom. I very rarely have an officer not appear. Very rarely have, do I have to dismiss the case for not being prosecuted because the officers aren't there. However, 
I had to dismiss half, about half of my docket last week because the folks who are calling the police, the business owners, the business workers, are not showing up to court. Ah. So that public service announcement needs to be spread. We need to be active and engaged. And when you're looking at a report that says dismissed because there's a failure to prosecute, that is not because the officers aren't showing up. I do not have that issue in my court. The folks who are calling the police, who are being shoplifted, who are being trespassed, those folks who own the businesses, who work there, are not showing up to testify. If you are not there and you are the alleged victim, you are the witness of the crime and you do not show up, the police cannot testify for you. Your, yeah. That case will be dismissed. Spread that, please. You got to take some accountability yourselves, right? Um, and I did just clarify with our city manager, there is a team that is contracted to work to break up these homeless camps. They are working on that and they are contracted already under, under, under contract and doing the work. So, okay. Um, something else I wanted to point out and I, I, I just wanted to ask the district attorney this and then I want to get on to um, you under sheriff on the repeat offender program, what we're looking into um, and then kind of wrap up the evening. Um, but district attorney, one of the things that was brought up to me um, was a concern I have about misdemeanor cases. And going back to what we started with this morning, or this, <laughs> boy, it's been a long day. Going back to what we started with the, this evening and Chief Boyd and the glass windows theory of policing, I have heard that in our courts, currently the district attorney's office is not prosecuting misdemeanors, that they're leaving that to the officers to prosecute. Is that the situation? It is not. The district, district attorney's office um, must prosecute DWIs. I would hope so because our, our police crimes, officers are not yeah. attorneys. Household member crimes, so battery on a house mom, household member, assault on a household member, all felonies, juvenile cases, that by law we're required to prosecute. We also have a class of cases, they're MRs. I'm not sure what MR means, but they're MRs, and those are officer prosecuted, such as trespassing, shoplifting. We don't, we don't get the file from the court for those cases. Those go to the officers. Now, I have met with both Captain, um, uh, police chief and sheriff's department and said, if your officers need help on these cases, let me know. We'll enter our appearance. Okay, can I stop you just for a minute? Clarification from the ju judicial side. Is that allowable? Can the, can the police officer prosecute those crimes in court? In my court, the, the, the city prosecutor prosecutes them. That's when I see the problem. That's what happens in my court. But not the police officer. Not, not in my court. Not, not in the city court. Okay. No. Magistrate court? Yeah. Magistrate court, um, the officers would be required to prosecute their own case and present evidence to the courts. Yes. Um, without, again, again, law enforcement, again, are not. Um, they're not attorneys. No, they're not attorneys. But they, again, I had one individual call me last week. In fact, um, it was an officer prosecuted case. The victim was there. Of course, victim has, they have rights as well. And they can go to, the, again, the district attorney's office, speak their mind as well, 
and mm -hmm. speak to the officers who are prosecuting the case. And the victim was there, the officer wasn't present. However, um, I went ahead and reset the matter because again, the officer would need to appear. If the officer is not present during that time when the case is called, the court will dismiss the case because again, there's nobody, there's no one there to prosecute the case. And I, we are aware that law enforcement, again, do not hold any type of um, degrees regarding counseling. And um, that's where we're, we're at right now. Thank you, Judge Yazzie. Judge Sanders? A lot of times we'll tell the officer They'll, and sometimes they ask for a continuance and they said, I could go talk to the DA. And then it's their responsibility to go talk to the DA. And sometimes we have entries on the misdemeanors, but the DA doesn't come or the officer doesn't come either and they're dismissed. Okay. City Attorney, you wanted to add? Well, it's fairly common around the state that um, district attorneys simply don't have the resources to devote to prosecuting misdemeanor crimes, and state law does allow in New Mexico for officers to prosecute their own cases. Um, you know, in previous life, I was uh, chair of the criminal justice program at Western, oversaw the police academy there, and did their block, block in their uh, police academy for 20 years. Part of the training in the basic academy um, is a um, police officer prosecution block. Is it adequate? Probably not, but um, that's where you know, the district attorney can step in and provide some you know, additional assistance or training for those officers. Um, they're not lawyers, but they do get a basic uh, block in the academy on how to prosecute cases. Um, Gallup is by far not the only place where this occurs. Um, I don't know if I'm aware of any district where um, the majority of misdemeanors are prosecuted by the district attorney's office anymore. Okay. It's That's the fair norm. Enough. It's good to know. Okay. So something else that we need to focus on to probably get changed and get training for our officers. All right. Um, time is short. Um, I promised 730 and we're already past that time. But I do think that this is important. Um, Judge Sanders brought this up. You know, we're a border community basically. We have to deal with jurisdictions that are beyond city and county. Obviously, we have Navajo and tribal lands that are out there that we also have to respect and take care of. Um, I know our sheriff's department does a lot out there. Um, but to that regard, um, we have a community to the north, Farmington, which is very much like us. And we have a community to the west of us in Arizona, and I realize Arizona and New Mexico laws are going to vary differently, uh, widely. But there are a couple of programs out there that deal with repeat offenders, which our undersheriff has been looking into. And, and, and um, undersheriff Mariano, if you wouldn't mind um, telling us about where we are in that process and what it's looking like in terms of us maybe trying to institute some of those changes. Okay, so um, a couple of months ago, uh, Justin Winfield introduced me to one of the officers from the ROPE program in Flagstaff, Arizona. The ROPE program stands for Repeat Offender Program, it's just a real simple acronym. The idea behind the program is twofold. First is, do we have chronic inebriants in our town? Yes. And are we losing the quality of life in our town? Okay, so that's where the rope program comes into play. So places like Flagstaff, Farmington, 
uh, Phoenix, Arizona, started a program called the Rope Program. What it does is it identifies those individuals who chronically offend, and it takes them to the next step, i.e. when they're caught trespassing five, six, seven times in your businesses, then we take it to the next step. Criminal trespass is a petty misdemeanor, or a full misdemeanor, depending on where it happened, and that is punishable by up to six months and a $500 fine. So you have low standards, okay? We automatically just, you book, release, book, release, book, release, book, release. These folks can be held accountable to a higher standard, and these cities took that upon themselves to do it. And in doing so, those people either served longer sentences, which got them off drugs and alcohol where they could get a treatment program, or two, there was community service involved where they cleaned up the mess that they made. So if we can't get longer jail sentences, then we're committed to helping them clean it up by the fact the sheriff's office has vans, we're ready to go, we're already getting ready to work with Judge Griego, and if she sentences community service to us, we'll take them out and we'll clean up 602, 491, the second street corridor, all these places where the mess is happening, we'll clean it up and we'll publish it, we'll publicize, publicize it, we'll advertise it and we'll fix it. So the program is not here yet. We're looking at how other cities did it. We're looking at how Arizona did it. And we're finding out if New Mexico's already done it and see if we can bring it here. But it's gonna be a partnership and collaboration with everybody that's sitting at these tables. We all have to work together. And I realize the sheriff's office handles outside the city limits, but I live here. I raised my kids here and my grandkids play in parks here. And I want that quality of life for everybody in this room and myself and the generations to come. And we're gonna have to step in and do something about it. So we're gonna look at that program and see if there's anything we can do, if we can bring it here and see if it would help solve the issue of quality of life in Gallup, New Mexico. So a lot of information tonight. Yes, um, we're doing good things. We're making steps in the right direction, I think. Again, we didn't get here overnight. We're not gonna fix it overnight, but we are going to keep feet to the fire. I will make this commitment to you. My board is all in on this, okay? They are. And we have said that we are going to make sure that we hold these folks who are your leadership and your law enforcement, your community, many of them elected officials, that we're gonna hold feet to the fire, that we want to see accountability. But I will tell you this, okay? The other thing is, we need your engagement, as I said. Nothing will get done with just one of us. But if we get a whole community behind this effort, we will make change. And that will be a great day. I want to thank each of these people for taking their time and coming here tonight. It's kind of scary to step out on that stage and be here in the, in the spotlight. But they've all done a remarkable job. And I will tell you this. In all of my meetings with them, they have all been respectful. They are all citizens here as well. They are all concerned about what's going on as well. And we are going to make a difference. So thank you for being here tonight. There's been a lot of talk about thank you for Bill Lee. It's not Bill Lee. It's your Gallup-McKinley County Chamber of Commerce at work. That's what we do, all right? We want to make it a better place for everybody. So to my board, to my staff, to my entire team, thank them. I'm a small piece of this, but we're going to keep pushing the gas pedal and we're going to make 
difference, okay? Bill, Have a good night, everybody. Thank Bill, you. Bill, before we um, conclude tonight, I would yes, like to say something. Yes, Judge Ozzie, you didn't really yes. get a shot, so. <laughs> I am okay. so sorry I didn't speak. I'm the quiet one. I sit in the corner. I don't speak as much as Judge Griego, but again, I want to thank everyone for um, being here tonight. Um, thank you, Bill, for inviting the judges. I was telling them we don't get invited anywhere, so please, please invite us to more forums. But again, of course, law enforcement, um, our partners, justice partners who come to our meetings, and of course, prosecutor and defense counsel. Just as um, Officer Mar or Captain Under Sheriff Mariano, <laughs> I always get them confused, it never fails. Again, just mention collaborating together. Again, to create these programs will help our community. We see our community suffering. We have drug addicts running around the streets, dr drinking and driving as well, and alcoholics. And in order for us to make our community better, we need to create programs for our community. We're trying to create a DWI program for second and third offenders, and we need all the stakeholders. I appreciate, again, the Sheriff's Office and then Mr. Conrad Freely for taking part, but not everyone is taking part in our program. And in order for us to serve our community better, we need to, again, all come together so we can actually address all these issues for our community. It's not for ourselves, it's for our community. And it's, I mean, we've been trying to get this DWI program off right now for two years. Last year I caught COVID, I ended up in coma, and I, we, it kind of slowed down there but now we're trying to pick it back up. We have until October 23rd to get certified or we'll lose our funding for our DWI program. And I'm asking, again, our, all our justice partners to assist us in creating this program for our community. It's not just an individual program for one. I mean, we have issues out, out there. Our, we have border town communities coming in Again, why? Because alcohol. We serve alcohol here. Again, reservation, everyone from the reservation is coming in. Again, from other states as well coming through. So Judge, who's not at the meeting? Who's not, who's not participating? Um, if you'd rather not say, I understand. I'd rather not, no, out of respect, I'd rather not say again, because again, I think we need all stakeholders. Okay. Law enforcement, again. So those who are the, here know who they are. They already know who they are, okay. and I'm not going to address them, but again, um, I appreciate if we could all collaborate together and get these programs going again. Again, just with the RISE program and, of course, the ROPE, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to it. Again, we have, again, just as Judge Sanders had brushed up upon, we have young generations coming in on their fourth and fifth DWI, 24-year-old mothers, fathers, and we need to address the issue at hand. And th that's all I wanted to, um, I guess, let out that that's an issue here. But um, again, Justice Partners, of course, the leaders here. And of course, Mr. Lee, thank you for inviting us and everyone else who is here. Thank you, I appreciate it. Judge, thank you. All right, the hour is late. Y'all have better things to do tonight, I'm sure. Thanks for being here. We will keep you apprised through the Gallup-McKinley County Chamber of Commerce on our progress, and we will have a follow-up forum, so be watching for that. Thank you for coming tonight.